0: chapter twenty five of gossip in the first decade of victoria's reign by john ashton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty five the queen's costume ball copper coinage of william the fourth new oxford street opened sale of napoleon's relics story of nelson's coat visit of king of the netherlands railway speculation hire of newspapers reverse of fortune prince albert and his taxes waghorn's overland route the queen gave a costume ball at buckingham palace on sixth june which was a magnificent affair and gave plenty of food for conversation every guest had to appear in a costume appropriate to the period of english history between seventeen forty and seventeen fifty but with the exception of the minuet the dances were modern i have only space for the dresses of the queen and prince albert her majesty's dress was composed of gold tissue brocaded in coloured flowers green leaves and silver trimmed round the top bottom and sides the upper dress being open in front with point lace over red ribbon the dress looped up with red satin ribbons and two large bows in each of which was a diamond bow and tassel the stomacher was composed of two large diamond bows and a diamond point the sleeves which were tight finished with point lace ruffles and trimmed with red ribbon on the left arm the garter in diamonds and on the right a diamond rosette she wore the blue ribbon and diamond george as usual the under petticoat was of white and silver tissue trimmed with a deep flounce of rich point lace which had belonged to queen charlotte headed by a quilling of red satin ribbon and bows above a narrower flounce of point lace trimmed like the other in each ribbon bow a diamond rosette prince albert wore a suit of the richest crimson velvet of spittlefield's manufacture the coat lined with white satin edged throughout with gold and the buttons were of gold on his left breast his royal highness wore a most splendid star of the order of the garter composed of diamonds with the exception of the cross which was formed of rubies the badge of the order was confined at the shoulder by an epaulette composed of large brilliants and a most splendid george was suspended from the ribbon wholly formed of brilliants the prince also wore the insignia of the golden fleece formed of opals and diamonds the garter was set in brilliance and the hilt of his royal highness's sword was covered with diamonds the waistcoat was of white satin richly and elegantly embroidered with gold the buttons being of gold shoe-buckles of diamonds hat three-cornered edged with gold lace with handsome diamond ornament in the cockade front the earl of cardigan could not masquerade as bayard but he excited no little attention he wore the uniform of the eleventh dragoons at culloden and with the costume which became him extremely he contrived to assume the portentous bearing and the true jackboot stride and swagger the morning chronicle is answerable for the following for some time past the copper coinage of william the fourth has been eagerly purchased by persons who are stated to be jews and a report has in consequence gained ground that gold is contained in it what reason there may be for this it is impossible to say but it is a well-known fact that agents have been at work for the last two months buying up those particular coins in westminster and they now fetch double the price of their legal issue the mania has extended eastward and twopence for a penny apiece and a penny for a halfpenny etc are now asked for the precious issue on nine june the new street connecting holborn with oxford street and now called new oxford street was thrown open for carriages measures christie and manson sold at the egyptian hall piccadilly on twenty-three june the first portion of the napoleon museum collected by mrs sainsbury and which had long been on exhibition the prices fetched were ridiculously low as the following examples will show among the bronzes an infantine bust of the king of rome formerly in the possession of josephine at malmaison cost twenty guineas sold for one pound ten shillings a drawing in sepia by de Bray of napoleon visiting the wounded on the field after the battle of elio five pounds five shillings the pictures illustrative of the principal events in the life of napoleon were almost given away the highest price obtained being twelve pounds for one by the great french painter david of napoleon with the crown raised in both his hands to place on the head of josephine at the coronation in notre dame twenty beautiful enamels by leonard of napoleon ne Bertier junot Joseph, Lucienne, Louis and Jérôme Bonaparte, Murat, Caroline, the youngest sister of Napoleon, Cardinal Fesch, Marie Louise, etc. fetched but 76 pounds and on the other day's sales the lots went for far under their value my readers may possibly remember how on 8 december nineteen hundred a number of nelson relics in the painted hall at greenwich hospital were stolen during the night by a burglar who escaped and may like to know the story of nelson's coat the times of nine july copies the following from the spectator an interesting relic of nelson has been discovered and some interest also attaches to the manner in which it has been secured to the nation sir harris nicholas in his laborious researches for editing the hero's dispatches, had satisfied himself that the coat and waistcoat which nelson wore when he fell at trafalgar were carefully preserved in pursuance of the admiral's directions they were given with several other things by sir thomas hardy his captain to lady hamilton by her they were transferred under peculiar circumstances to a late alderman of london and they remained in the possession of the alderman's widow the lady is not rich and she asked a hundred and fifty pounds for the relic this sum being beyond his own means sir harris determined to raise it by subscription in order that the coat and waistcoat might be deposited like the coat which nelson wore at the battle of the nile in greenwich hospital with that view he put the proposition in writing and had it printed as a circular before issuing this circular however he sent a copy to prince albert who immediately desired that the purchase might be made for himself as he should feel pride and pleasure in presenting the precious memorials to greenwich hospital sir harris nicholas took them to the royal purchaser on wednesday and we understand that the prince manifested a very fine feeling on the occasion there is kind and generous wisdom in this act for nothing could so help to identify the queen's husband with the british people as such little tributes to their maritime pride the coat is thus described in sir harris nicholas's circular and it will be seen that it has an historic value the coat is the undress uniform of a vice-admiral lined with white silk with lace on the cuffs and epaulets four stars of the order of the bath st ferdinand and Merit, the crescent and st Joachin, are sewn on the left breast as nelson habitually wore them which disproves the story that he purposely adorned himself with his decorations on going into battle the course of the fatal ball is shown by a hole over the left shoulder and part of the epaulette is torn away which agrees with dr sir william beatty's account of lord nelson's death and with the fact that pieces of the bullion and pad of the epaulette adhered to the ball which is now in her majesty's possession the coat and waistcoat are stained in several places with the hero's blood further confirmatory evidence is given in the globe copied into the times of twenty two july it will scarcely be believed that the coat of the great naval hero together with his cocked hat and an immense quantity of his property was as it were mortgaged for the sum of a hundred and twenty pounds yet such was the fact the late alderman jonathan joshua smith was executor of lord nelson with lady hamilton and prior to his death goods sufficient to fill six crates amongst which were the coat hat breeches etc were placed in the town hall southwark under the care of mr kinsey the chief officer and who now attends the alderman at the central criminal court kinsey was alderman smith's confidential servant for a number of years and to whom a hundred and twenty pounds was owing at his master's death application was made to the court of aldermen by some members of the nelson family for the restitution of the property and after a long discussion alderman lucas consented to act as arbitrator between the family and kinsey and thirty pounds was paid to the latter in satisfaction of his claim upon which the things were repacked and sent to mrs smith at heron court richmond in whose possession they remained until the purchase of the coat was made by prince albert the king of the netherlands paid the queen a visit on twenty-four july and the good man must have thought well of us inasmuch as he was very much let do as he liked in london he stopped at meivert's hotel went to the opera paid a few visits was a guest of the duke of richmond for goodwood races was made a field marshal held a review in hyde park and went back again a far lighter sentence than is usually passed on royalty when visiting this country we now find the inflation of railway speculation attracting attention and in the times of august one is a letter a column in length of which i give the following extract referring to the inquiry into the dublin and galway railway the next case is that of letters addressed to one park place devonshire street mile end road so great is the number of letters delivered here that additional assistance has been given in the duty upwards of a thousand letters have been delivered here within nine months only last week a hundred and twenty were taken in on one day of which at one time no less than sixteen and at another thirty letters were delivered this number one park place is up an obscure court consisting of three small houses of about five and six rent per week number one is occupied by a man and woman and the next door by their daughter the proceedings of these persons have been closely watched directly a packet of letters has been received in the morning off starts the old man and woman and sometimes the daughter to the places appointed to meet the receiver on the first occasion the old woman who had received sixteen letters evidently wanted to deposit her treasure at crosby hall chambers for opposite to them she halted carefully looking about her but unfortunately she found she was watched and escaping through the excise office hid herself somewhere till her pursuer lost her the next morning another packet was received with which the old man was entrusted he started immediately and after a most circuitous route to avoid detection as to where he deposited his treasure he was seen to enter the king's arms tavern bishopsgate churchyard where he was seen to deliver his dispatches to a smart dapper jew well known who after a few moments deliberation left the house and was speedily joined by several confederates at the top of the churchyard who after dividing the letters dispersed as instantaneously as can be imagined the next day it became necessary to augment the detective force for the old people became more wary the old man went out before post time and the daughter was selected as the messenger with dispatches she was fleet of foot but she had been carefully identified therefore that did not avail her much as the detective force was divided and stationed at such places as were likely to succeed she took a most circuitous route but eventually found herself opposite the auction mart evidently looking out anxiously for some one she saw she was watched and away she started and after a long round found shelter at maidenhead court aldergate street in a little smith's shop which turned out to belong to the identical party who resides at number one park place where the letters were first delivered here the pursuit was given up no further attempt to trace the receiver was made the inquiry before the select committee coming on but sufficient is shown to exhibit the system existing to this hour how it may be asked do they procure the signatures to the deed one party holding so many letters of allotment the system is this one party signs the deed as often as disguise will shield him from discovery then the practice is resorted to of procuring persons from fifteen years to sixty to accompany the holder of the banker's receipt to the railway office to sign the deed in such name as he may direct for which when done he receives remuneration varying from one shilling to ten according to the premium the script may bear in the market there were several police cases as to writing and forging these bogus names, and prudent people were beginning to look shy at railway scrip. Here is a case which we can hardly understand nowadays. As long as newspapers were stamped, it was a misdemeanor to allow anyone to read them unless they purchased them, as it was considered a fraud upon the revenue. On 23 August, at the Court of Requests, Kingsgate Street, a case came before the commissioners for adjudication in which a news-vendor summoned a person for a small sum for reading the various newspapers the plaintiff in stating the case said the defendant had been in the habit of seeing the papers daily for which a penny a day was charged and the present proceedings were taken to recover a balance due on that account the commissioner said that he could not recover as he had been guilty of a gross fraud upon the stamp office in letting newspapers out for hire the plaintiff but he was in the habit of coming to my shop and seeing them the commissioner that don't matter it is a fraud upon the stamp office and you render yourself liable to an information being laid against you for it here is a little anecdote chronicled in the annual register, 6 September. Reverse of Fortune Edward Riley, living with his family in Hadley Street, Burton Crescent, having been proved next of kin to Major General Riley, who recently died at Madras, leaving property to the amount of £50,000, to the whole of which he has become entitled, has greatly amused the neighbourhood by his conduct. From having been but a workman in the dustyard in Maiden Lane, he has now become a man of independence. Some days after his sudden acquisition of wealth, he called in his cab on a tailor in Seymour Street, and taking him to the dust yard, desired him to measure the whole of the men in the yard for a suit of clothes, which, being accomplished, he ordered them to go to a bootmaker where they were all served on the following sunday he ordered a butcher to supply each of them with a joint of meat riley has taken a house in argyll square and upon entering it purposes to give a dinner to all the dustmen in london and illuminate the front of his house we have seen in eighteen forty three punch's idea of prince albert as a farmer and we next hear of him in connection with this business as refusing to pay parish rates for the flemish farm so at a vestry meeting held at windsor on eighteen september the subject was brought forward it appeared that the estimated rental of the property was four hundred and fifty pounds and that the last rate at eight pence in the pound amounting to fifteen pounds had not been paid it was stated that the prince had refused to pay the rates on two grounds first that he had no beneficial occupation and secondly that the property belonged to the queen the reply to this was that the prince certainly had a beneficial occupation in the farm for the two prize oxen sold by him last year at seventy pounds and eighty pounds were fatted on this farm to say nothing of the crops and agricultural produce from which his royal highness received great profits and it was thought there was no reason why he should be let off and the poorer farmers made to pay the rates it was settled that the collectors should make application for the arrears amounting to over two hundred pounds punch drew a harrowing picture of the brokers being put into windsor castle and of a paragraph which might appear in the court circular yesterday her gracious majesty visited prince albert at her own bench but matters did not go so far for on fourteen january next following the prince vouchsafed an answer to the vestry in which he denied his liability in toto acting on the advice of the attorney and solicitor-general and sir thomas wilde and after crushing the poor vestry the letter winds up thus and his royal highness feels himself at liberty to take the course which is most satisfactory to his own feelings and to pay as a voluntary contribution a sum equal to the rate which would have been annually due had the legal liability of his royal highness been established it is also his royal highness's intention that the payment of the sum referred to should commence from the year eighteen forty-one and so it has continued to the present day if we may credit the authority quoted in the accompanying cutting from the globe of 8 june 1901 how the king pays taxes it is not generally known says the freelance that the king pays taxes under protest that is to say his majesty like queen victoria claims to be exempt from impost and yet is willing to contribute without prejudice to the rates for instance part of the windsor farmland lies within the radius of the borough the municipal authority issues demand notes for the rates the royal officials respond by paying a sum just under the amount requested and the collector is satisfied there is no question of going to law for how can the king be summoned in his own courts On 31 October, Lt. Waghorn practically demonstrated the feasibility of his overland route to India. The regular mail and his express arrived at Suez by the same steamer on 19 October. The express was given to a man on a dromedary, who, stopping nowhere, entered Alexandria on the 20th. The express was delivered to Mr. Waghorn, who started at 11 o'clock. He had been waiting on board an Austrian steamer, which had remained in quarantine, so that he arrived at Trieste in free pratique. He landed, however, at Divina, twelve miles nearer London than Trieste, and hurried through Austria, Prussia, Baden, and Bavaria, with a passport ready visaed by the representatives of those countries. He reached Monheim in eighty-four hours, proceeded by a steamer to Cologne, thence by special train to Ostend, by boat to Dover, to London by railway, and arrived at four-thirty in the morning of the thirty-first. The news from India, thus brought, was published in all the London papers, which were in Paris before the mail from Marseilles was on its way to London. End of CHAPTER Twenty-five.